We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. A Saturday edition of the podcast, in part because I wanted Chris Cooley to be a part of the podcast here at the end of the week, and he is available this morning to help preview and pick the six super wild card NFL games that start later on this afternoon with Seattle at San Francisco. We've got Jacksonville tonight hosting the Chargers. Tomorrow it's Miami and Buffalo at 1, Minnesota and the Giants at 4.30, and then tomorrow night Baltimore at Cincinnati, and then the playoffs week one uh, conclude with the Cowboys and the Bucks in Tampa on Monday night. Uh, I will have a smell test in the second segment of the show today. Last segment of the show today, what happened 50 years ago today, a significant day in the history of the Washington Redskins franchise. That will be the final segment of the show. But uh, Cooley is here with me today. The show presented today by Window Nation. Go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. If you've been thinking about new windows because they're older or they're drafty and you're losing too much money on your energy bills, you're overpaying on your heating and air conditioning bills, Give them a call. Mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate. And the deal they've got going on right now is this. Buy two, get two free with no limit, so you're paying half price on the windows. Plus, if you want to finance the purchase, no interest for five full years. 60 months, no interest, and you're paying half price on the windows. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name. There's no risk. They'll give you a free estimate. You can shop it if you want. I've been working with Window Nation for 13 and a half years. I promise you it will work out for you. All right, uh, Chris, before we get to these NFL playoff games. Uh, A lot happened since you were on the show Monday. Um, Something that wasn't a big surprise, but I do want your reaction on Scott Turner being fired. I thought it was something that they were going to have to do. I thought that Ron was going to be back. We, We had talked about that on Monday, and I just didn't see enough in an offensive system moving forward to continue with Scott Turner. It, it is interesting, though. Um, it might also be in part that they've had seven quarterbacks since Scott 
Turner's tenure, and, and maybe there would be enough if he had a legitimate starting quarterback, which is your excuse. But the one thing they do know is that they're going to have to go try to get another starting quarterback, and Scott Turner's record with those seven haven't been very good. Eight, by the way, if you count Sam Howell. Uh, I don't. Okay. They didn't have to start Sam Howell. Well, they started. They, 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 he played more than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He played more than Ryan Fitzpatrick did. But the choice was to start Ryan Fitzpatrick. If it were a game that mattered, they would have started okay. either Wentz or Heineke. I mean, it was a, let's see what the kid can do. They, that doesn't count. Okay. Um, you didn't, the bottom line, though, is you were never impressed with almost anything. I mean, there were a couple of games here you and there. That's, yeah, that's not 100% true that I was never impressed. I just think. So I didn't watch a lot of film with you last year. Well, I was coaching high school football right. the year before. I, I just did. We didn't have time to do the film stuff. And so my Scott tenure or Scott Turner tenure is divided into year one and year three. But no, last year I was not impressed. And the, and the problem I had really as we got throughout the year was the lack of ability to protect. And he's going to say it's offensive line, but I, I think it, the lack of solutions they had up front with how they were choosing to protect with their offensive line hurt them. And in so much, then the decision was ultimately made. We have to seven man protect more times than not, if we want to try to throw the ball down the field. And and so we're going to eliminate 40% of our eligibles and let's just max it up so we can get the ball out of our, I mean, I hate that. None of those are answers to me right now in today's NFL, unless you can dynamically run the ball which they couldn't do. Uh, I think you just didn't ever throughout the year, you started with creativity, but throughout the year, you never really dabbled or more than dabbled into other solutions, which we had talked about throughout the year in a lot of different ways. One example, they went tempo to start the Eagles game and marched down the field in the great tempo drive, and then they never once went tempo again. I, I, think, they, I, I think they did it a couple of times, but mm-hmm. but they didn't make it but the I, practice I mean, you wanted them to example make. Example if you it doesn't and that doesn't necessarily have to be the practice, but alternatives to finding ways to get going would have been exciting. Right, uh, and you could he can sit there and say there wasn't. We were not. We could not. But if that was an offense with five legitimate weapon weapons. And where you're struggling at quarterback is what, but find different creative ways to get those guys the ball. Um, just, I just think it was a lot of ho-hum. And I don't think that there's enough behind it. So. Okay. I, 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 no, I think I, Scott Turner would benefit a lot from going in, spending, being a, a quarterback's coach again under a new offensive coordinator in a different system. Right. Where he's he's learning that like, I don't I don't think he's dumb. I don't think I honestly don't think he's a terrible play caller. I, like I wouldn't sit here and say like his play call decisions were horrendous. I, I don't think they were great, but I just think the style and system of offense just doesn't fit, and it's just not there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to talk anymore. I know you. I know how you feel, and and I think you also made it clear that you know. Uh, even though there were a lot of days you came in here and were very much, very much 
disappointed with you know the ability to do anything to kind of help their situation out from an offensive coordinator standpoint. There were days where you came in here and you were impressed. I, I remember one day in particular, the opener this year against Jacksonville on that first third down, that little diamond formation uh, that they put together with the four wide receivers. Man, he made that work. He worked all offseason on that one, and that was a beauty. Who did he throw that to, Samuel? I think it was Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel. I remember the play. I remember all of it. Yeah, yeah it was. But they, you know what's funny? They never ran it again I don't the think they did either. Year. I don't think no, they did. No, they didn't. I know, I know they didn't. <laughs> it's true. If I could draw the play right now without watching it again, I, I can draw the play. Um, I know they didn't run it again, but – it isn't, it's so funny. They move the ball like that, and you have Terry and Dotson really grew, but then Samuel disappeared, really, from the offense. Kevin, what did he average touches per game in the last eight? Like three, not more than four touches a game at best? I don't uh, know, two? I mean, he got, a bunch of touches a, in, he got a bunch of touches in the run game. Um, I'm going to look right now. Hold on for one not second. Not a bunch. Not a bunch. Uh, I mean, here one or two a game. The most he was targeted through the air over the last month of the season in the game at the Meadowlands, they threw to him seven times, caught six balls, five targets in the second sure. giant game, five targets. He was five receptions, five targets in the San Francisco game, and then against the Browns and the Cowboys, two targets, one target. Rushing attempts in the two giant games, he had eight rushing attempts. Um uh, so I think he's probably targeted a little bit more than you thought. Interestingly, not to, you know, well. He he must not have played. No, he did play. He was not targeted at all against Atlanta. Barely targeted against Houston. Um, early in the season, the you know what the number one target game was for him, the Jacksonville game. Eleven targets, eight catches. Also ran the ball four times. So he had twelve total touches in that game. That was the most he had. All year long, in terms of touches, it is a few more targets in a couple of those late season games. But still, that you add in the one target, two target game, and the lack of touches in the last, it is less. And in so much, the early targets were also creative ways to get Curtis Samuel the ball. Later targets are third and thirteen. Let's go three down the field and attack, and he's going to be a middle option, but he's not the primary. Idea. I don't know. It. I thought he was a good weapon. I thought he could have had more primary type targets where you're creating for him. Uh, they didn't. But that. That's a just. Uh, I mean, those are little examples of how I felt about the year. Yeah. I, I don't know if you and I talked. We, we couldn't have talked about it because the Martin Mayhew. Um, Ron Rivera press conference, uh, season-ending press conference was Tuesday. You were on the Monday show. I think maybe we talked about it off the air. But they, they, there was a heavy emphasis in the conversation about the um, personality, the formula um, that they want to employ offensively, which is a heavy run-to-pass ratio. I mean, it's, it was kind of – I mean, I, I, I forget if we've talked about this, but it was just kind of 
one of those press conferences with Ron where you just kind of hear him rambling. Like he doesn't even think about like what the actions were. They traded for Carson Wentz. They drafted Jahan Dotson. They they drafted a tight right. end that was really a wide receiver. They let Brandon Sheriff and Eric Flowers go. But apparently they wanted to be heavy run over pass, and that's what they want right. to be personality-wise moving forward. Um, and I bring that up because – you know, the already Jim Caldwell, it was reported yesterday um, that Caldwell was approached by Washington for their vacant, you know, OC position, and he's not interested. He's only interested in pursuing head coaching opportunities. And I think the Scott Turner firing was a scapegoat firing. Again, I am fine with them wanting to do better. That's fine. But if they had won one more game and they were playing this weekend, the fact that they gave him a contract extension a year ago, Scott Turner would would be the offensive coordinator in 2023. And like they did with quarterback after, you know, Russell Wilson said no and Jimmy Garoppolo had surgery and they they got desperate. I just kind of have a sense here that they fired Scott Turner just thinking that people will want to come here and coach with Ron and be a part of this organization, and they're going to have several choices, and they've already pro- approached Jim Caldwell, and he said no. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of possibilities of guys that may not get OC jobs, so they'll hire somebody. But I, I just I – bet, I bet this is a haphazard, you know, search, um, and they're going to end up settling for somebody – um, and I'm not saying it's because, you know that they fired him because they weren't concerned about the offense or they thought he did a great job but needed a scapegoat, but it felt like a scapegoat firing. I don't think he would have been fired had they won one more game. Um, it, was the, it was the horrific ending to the season that really ultimately meant that Ron had to, to, to you know, put somebody's head on, on the chopping block. And, and Turner was the easy guy to do it because everybody was in favor of it. But anyway, uh, I don't know what they'll be looking for. I don't know what, what, what they'll find. They'll find somebody, but already one person has said no. And I, I understand with Jim Caldwell, he's been a successful at times head coach before. Um, he doesn't want to be an offensive coordinator. Um, but I'm sure you'd be well, available. It, it is interesting, though. Yeah, you're right. Um, no, I won't take that job. Um, yes, you will. It is interesting. It is interesting, though, when you say scapegoat firing, and then the first thing is they reach out to Caldwell, who is only interested in head coaching jobs. You're like, okay, so you did fire him, but you literally have no idea what you want to do. It's possible. It's possible. I, I, I just, uh, unless they're they're hoping to try to make a job more appealing. How? I, I don't know. With I have no idea what they're with doing. With a quarterback? Or, hey, Jim Caldwell's interested. I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, look, the, the bottom line is it's a weird offseason for them, and it's a weird offseason for anybody considering taking employment in Washington. You don't know what the ownership situation is. If you assume the owner is going to sell the team, then you you know, you know view Ron Rivera as a potential lame duck in 2023, so it may be a one-year gig. So, you know, Ken Zampezi's there as the quarterback's coach. They could always promote him. Mike Shula worked for Ron in Carolina and is a senior offensive assistant. He's older. He might want another shot to be an OC. Um, but, you know, I don't see Frank Reich coming here to be the OC. I don't see Bill O'Brien coming here to be the OC. Um, I, I, th- those are names I don't think that you end up attracting 
to this job right now? Um, I don't know. I didn't ask you. Did you have anybody in mind? Not right now. I don't have anybody in mind, but I could go through with you and and we could figure this out. We could figure out a, a, a list of five guys and I could narrow it down to three guys here in half a day. All right. But that's but but here's the here's the other funny thing, right? What? So Mayhew and Rivera go in and they say, Hey, we want to be this predominant run offense and uh we have Terry McLaurin and John Dotson and Curtis Samuel and and Gibson who could do a lot out of the backfield as a receiver and then you open the search for offensive coordinator. Uh, any young up and coming offensive coordinator is going to be super fucking excited about coming in and trying to run the ball sixty one percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great sales pitch. Like, let me do that. Let me let me do that. That'll be great. Well, it, um, it, I, it's just I, him I have rambling. all these ideas about how we can. I have all these ideas about how we can throw the ball. Coach, no, no. No, we got a good defense. We're okay, gonna well, play smash mouth football. Win, win nine you'll games. Really, you'll really like running the ball this way. No, how about no? You know, I, I suggested this week. I think with Tommy on the podcast that if they really are being honest, which I don't think they are. I mean, it's a convenient thing based on yeah, like it, it would have been fine for them to have said. Look, we had to adapt to the limitation to, to the quarterback situation we had, the offensive line situation we had. We thought playing that way, running the ball a lot more than passing it, um, gave us the best chance to win. And by the way, I agree with them, but they didn't want to say that. They wanted to say that that was what they believed in philosophically moving forward. So if you took them at their word the other day, my idea would be, well, let's trade Curtis Samuel. You're not going to trade Dotson or, or Terry. I mean, you still want the downfield threats. Lamar Jackson couldn't attract wide receivers. You've already got them here. Let's find a dual-threat quarterback. Let's go Justin Fields. Let's trade for him if Chicago decides to take um, you know, Stroud or Bryce Young number one overall, which I don't think they're going to do. Um, maybe Sam Howell's the guy to be a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, it's possible Anthony Richardson from Florida, who is 6'4", 230, and runs a 4'3", um, and maybe, I mean, when you when you look at him on film before the draft, you may say about what uh, about him what you said about Lamar Jackson, that he might be the best running back in the draft. Let's draft him, rookie deal, and let's go Baltimore, Tennessee, um, and, you know, let, let's, let's try to win 10, 11 regular season games. It, it obviously is not a formula for winning in the postseason. You've got to be able to throw the football in the postseason. But, you know, even if they just go the Sam Howell route, Sam Howell rushed for 828 yards his final year at Carolina. We saw on, on Sunday against the Cowboys, he can run. If you're going to be that philosophically, invest in that. Go the whole way with it. Turn your quarterback into a dual-threat quarterback. Invest in your offensive line. Resign Deron Payne because you're not going to pay a quarterback big money. And let's go play that way. You know, I mean, Tennessee was the number one seed last year relying primarily on a massive run-to-pass ratio. With, By the way, Ryan Tannehill is a guy that was dual-threat. The, the Ravens have won a lot of regular season games that way. Washington's got a good defense. They'll play good complementary football. 
You know, you're going to be in a lot of games. You're going to win nine or ten games next year that way and have a chance to make the postseason. You're not going to win the Super Bowl that way, more likely than not, not in 2023. But if you really are that philosophically, go be it. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see them back that up. It would mean no Derek Carr. Here's the thing, though. The, the, the 49ers are that philosophically. Yes, they are. They they're are. Not, well, they're not. The 49ers are. Uh, and there's a, there's a difference. There's a big difference in what you're saying and what the 49ers yes. are and what the Tennessee Titans are and then what the Baltimore Ravens started as. I think Lamar has evolved. I, I still think they're that. But what they were in 2019 and 2020 was not a throw first. Uh, it was a run first, run second team. Who, who, who are you talking about right now? Are, are, are the Ravens. Yeah. In, tw- in 2019, 20, early Lamar Jackson, they're a true dual threat quarterback type of team. And the way the, the Washington wants to run the ball, if they, if they want to do that, that, that was – Scott Turner was – it was not in the Turner system. No. To develop what Kyle developed and truly understand how to execute some of the zone read stuff on a level where you're running it out of multiple formations, multiple personnel groupings, and different looks. That was n- that's, that's not in Norv's book. The 49ers, just as, as a matter of fact, are pretty much a 50-50 team. They're slightly, but they're a run-first team. They're slightly over 50% pass attempts to rushing attempts for the season this year. But yes, they they are. We we know them as a run first team. Even though, interestingly, okay, per the DVOA number, Football Outsiders number three pass offense in the NFL this year, which is really uh, amazing to me. Um, but look at all the weapons they have. By the way, you know we haven't talked about Brandon Ayuk is turning into a beast as a receiver. I mean, I know there's so much around him to have McCaffrey and to have Kittle and when Debo Samuel's out there, et cetera. But, man, he seems to be the guy that's always open, and he doesn't drop him, and he catches him and, and turns him into big plays. I digress. Anyway, my point is, if you really do believe in this philosophically, go for it. And go for it full bore and turn your quarterback into – invest little in your quarterback. Keep Sam Howell on a rookie deal. And let's let's have a dual threat system with a chance to to pull it and throw to guys that'll get open. I mean, the receiving core would be much better than Lamar Jackson ever had. Oh, there's no doubt that they would be much better than Lamar had. But I mean, the, really, when you want to, if you want to be Baltimore, if you want to be San Francisco, and maybe that's what they're saying they want to be, and that would have been much easier to do is to, to come out and say, hey, look, the 49ers have a great system. What Kyle's built is a phenomenal system. It doesn't have to be the system or, or the terminology, but the style of play of what they do is proven to win. And they've been able to do it with three different quarterbacks this year, none of them true starting quarterbacks. And look where they are. This is what this is the type of ball we want to play. Look at the 49ers. Yeah, but if they had said, look at the 49ers, we would have all laughed because they don't have anybody on their staff that approaches the intellect, the creativity of what they have on their staff. Yeah, that's why they're firing Turner and trying to go get that creativity. Yeah, okay. Well, okay. Uh, Look, uh, we've talked about this. Their roster is not unappealing other than quarterback. Their roster is built to be a playoff roster if you can find the answer at quarterback. But, you know, moving away from this, because personally I think that's just – 
what they rambled about the other day because you know in 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 a month and a half uh, or in a month when they trade for Derek Carr that'll be all out the window um I I'm just curious in your impressions of Derek Carr and whether or not, if you were Washington, you would trade for Carr. Let's say it's going to take at least a number one. You're 16 overall and maybe a third, something like that. Um, and it's $31 million next year and then into the $40 million-plus range cap hit-wise the two years after that. You were a Derek Carr fan, big Derek Carr fan coming out of Fresno. I remember very clearly when you said – He's going to be an NFL starting quarterback for a long time. Um, what, what do you what do you think about Carr's availability? He's got a no trade clause, by the way, so he's going to be able to dictate where he goes. Right, and like, is he going to go to Washington? I don't think so, but I think Washington is, be, is one of those I mean, names being mentioned. Going to Washington. Okay, let's play. Would I trade for Derek Carr? Uh, if I'm a long-term GM, uh, yes, without a doubt. Uh, I would look at the Rams trade for Stafford when they had a full roster built to win a Super Bowl and they needed a quarterback and say, we need a quarterback and we're ready to win with a quarterback, which I think they are ready to win with a quarterback. I don't know if Derek Carr is Matthew Stafford. He's not he's far not. off of Matthew Stafford. Uh, I, 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 I don't think I wouldn't he's say Stafford. That, I don't think he's Stafford. Personally. I don't. I don't think he's Stafford either. I, I think Derek Carr is a, a top fifteen quarterback, pretty much every year, but he's not a top ten. It's really strange when you watch Derek Carr, and I've watched him well, quite a bit over the last few years. He can be an A quarterback and he can be a D quarterback, week in week out. A D. It's just you lack some consistency with their with their with Derek Carr, but. For the most part, I think he gives you the ability to win games with the current roster. So yes, I, I would I would definitely do that. I, I if I'm Ron and Mayhew and yeah, I, I would do it. They need to win too. I think that's you just nailed it there. I mean, the reason. I mean, I'm I'm for swinging big until you land one. Um, to me, Aaron Rodgers, we talked about this on Monday, would be a no-brainer if, you're, if he were available. I just don't think he's going to be available. The salary cap, dead penalty, dead cap penalty money is too great for Green Bay to deal him. And he'd have to restructure completely to get dealt. Secondly, I'm not in favor of Derek Carr. I just, I, I, he's obviously much different than the acquisition of Carson Wentz because – there's no debate at that point that you've got your best quarterback here since Cousins. Okay, he's much better than what you've had here over the last four years. Um, but I still don't think he's good enough. I don't think he's consistent enough. I mean, he had Devontae Adams this year. They had a pretty good team this year. Uh, I, I And maybe you'd say Josh McDaniels isn't a good head coach and he's the one that screwed it up and is responsible for all of it. Um, uh, I don't know. There's something about him that just I'm, I always feel is he – I've always said somewhere between 14 and 18 depending on the year. So it puts him right at 16 on average. That would be the best starting quarterback they've had since Cousins. I don't know that – 
what you'd be losing with his cap hit next year, thirty-four million. Okay, you're you know you're getting rid of twenty-three in Wentz, so it's eleven million. Are you going to be able to re-sign Deron Payne? Are you going to be able to franchise Deron Payne? Um, you know, what are you going to be able to do with Sweat here and Young coming up when his number hits forty-something million two years from now? Um, I don't know. I'm not a big Derek Carr fan. If they went and got him, I would certainly think of Washington as a team that could go better than 500 next year and make the playoffs. But I don't think they'd be in the upper echelon of like NFC championship contenders. You know, I'd still put Philadelphia in the division as better than them. I, look, you know who I uh, can I just, uh, I'm going to digress for one second. I watched for two straight weeks or two straight games, I watched Brian Dable. And I watched Wink Martindale's press conferences because that's something I did all year long. I usually do. I watch the opponents, you know, head coach and then OCs and DCs before they play Washington to think to see what they think of Washington as an opponent. And then I was watching their press conferences yesterday in advance of the Minnesota game. I am so impressed with Brian Dable. I think the Giants are really on the right track. I think they finally found the answer in Dable. I think Wink Martindale is an outstanding defensive coordinator. If he sticks with Dable for the next few years and they can add just a couple of playmakers for Daniel Jones, I think the Giants are going to be better than Washington. Just in their division, if you give me Derek Carr, I think the Giants, Eagles, and Cowboys are probably still, those three teams are better than Washington. Washington's competitive. You know, and if, if with a quarterback and the receivers they have in the defense, they, they'll they're going to have a chance to win nine or ten games and be in the mix. But I don't know that they're better than any one of those three teams, especially when the Giants have some money to spend here in the off season. With a with quarterback stability, there's a chance for them to be better than any of those three teams. But the, the better, better, like dynamically better, who knows? Next year's a different year, and we've seen that every year with so many teams in the NFL, especially NFC East teams. And I'm with you. I think the Giants are going to be a consistent team. I don't know on the Cowboys year in and year out what yeah, exactly what true. they're going to be, and no one has. And the Eagles are another interesting one. Like they, they, I like Sirianni, and I, I like what they're doing with Hurts, and I think they're on the rise. But I don't think that 8-8-1 in, in Washington – which, by the way, like I think is a, is an overachievement for what <laughs> they had on offense this year. Right. Like, In some ways, you know, it like, was. There is. There is. There's got to be some more stability of that position. <sighs> Look, do I think Carr is the long term answer? No. Well, he's so only cool. He's only thirty one. I I know he could be the long term answer. We. He's just not been the long-term answer in Oakland, and he's had enough tenure to show that he's a guy you just can't move on from. I know. When I say he could be, what I'm saying is if you can't do any better and you want to get the best possible guy to give you the best chance to win next year and the year after, you know, if they had had Derek Carr for the last four or five years, they would have been much better off than what they had. I mean, it's hard to find a quarterback. They could be in – I mean, the people out there that are saying that they saw enough in one game from Sam Howell to say, let's just go in with Sam Howell and, and maybe draft somebody in the third round or re-sign Taylor Heineke um, to be the backup. I, I, okay, 
I mean, I don't know. I did. Sam Howell, maybe he is the answer. Maybe you got the answer right on your own, on your roster right now. I I didn't see enough to 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 be convinced of that. The Giants, by the way, no have the third most no cap one. space in the league. No, the Giants have have some great opportunities to make some moves this offseason, and they are going to be a good football team. And I like Dable, and I like Daniel Jones, and I think they they found something between the two of those guys. Yeah. We'll see. It's still year one, and we'll see where they go. But. Right, I mean, I don't know. They're still like, where else would you go? Like, experiments, but they can't do that. Like, Zach Wilson would be an experiment. Are the Jets keeping Wilson? Uh, fields are like, is, is Fields going to stay in Chicago, or is Chicago going to make a move for someone else? Like, if you want to be that running team, do you, do you go fully that way? I, but here's the thing, you know, like, I, I mean, I just feel like you just know this. Like, I think it's so hard to say this isn't going to happen. Um. Lamar Jackson's out. He's missed a lot of games in the last two years. How long do you got to do that with the guy? If you're going to go that route, and we've played this out in the Nick Turner theory, our buddy, you're going to draft a guy in the first round, and if you can, if you're good, you'll draft a running quarterback later in the first round, who you'll probably reach for every fourth year or every fifth year, which gives you the extra year on the deal, and then you just rinse repeat <laughs> and you essentially say like you're we are going to build you to get a contract somewhere else you're probably not going to resign a big deal here and you pay money everywhere else and you pay rookie deals first round rookie deals to your quarterback every five years i have to give you credit i, I think i've done this before but not recently when you called Lamar Jackson the best running back in that particular draft, which remember pissed some people off, and it was not you said he's he's a quarterback, but he would be the best running back in that draft. By the way, you also said about Christian McCaffrey, he was the best receiver um, in the draft that he came out in. But I, I'll never forget after that first year of Lamar Jackson playing, you said this is going to be one of the most difficult contract situations. Ever And you were speaking mostly from the team side because you said it's going to be really hard because he's going to be evaluated as an MVP with the biggest deals in the league, and yet he's essentially – you're going to have to play football this way and know that you're at risk of not having him. They didn't have him last year. They didn't make the play playoffs. They don't have him this year. The whole situation this year right now is just odd overall. Um and you're, you know, you you can't pay him fifty million a year. You can't do it. You called this like three years ago. You said this is going to be one of the hardest contracts to figure out for the Ravens because you, they're he's going to want or his agent, which we didn't know at the time, he doesn't have an agent. Um, they're going to want Mahomes, you know, money. The Deshaun Watson deal, by the way, really screwed it up for everybody. This this was just such a horrible deal done by Cleveland. You really have to throw that deal out if you're being reasonable um, as a quarterback in your negotiations. But I don't know. Lamar Jackson, I think, is going to be available. No, I think he's going to be available as well. Um it, the players are not going to throw out the deal because reasonable is not what is really the case in a, in a negotiation. Like that, yeah, Lamar no. Jackson, in, in, in fairness to Lamar, he he doesn't have to throw that out. I mean, that's that's was paid by a team. Someone did pay that, so 
here we go. I, it's just the, the fifty million dollars a year is, is is wild. If he's Lamar Jackson and you know he's the Lamar Jackson that you got when he's at a hundred percent, awesome. But if Lamar Jackson can't play at eighty percent in a playoff game, who do we have? He's getting older. He's never going to be at a hundred percent when he's ten years in the league. He's always going to be sore, tired, banged up. He's not going to be able to do the same stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Let's talk about these playoff games. Uh, Seattle, San Francisco today. Apparently, pouring rain, been flooding rains for the last few days. Who knows what that field will be like? Um, the 49ers, nine and a half, ten, somewhere in that range. Do you give Seattle any chance? I, I don't give Seattle any chance. Because, well, first of all, the field's going to be fine. The field, it's a new field, built to drain. It's got covers on it. I mean, if it's pouring rain through the first and second quarter, it, it is going to get banged up. But the field will be all right for the, at least the first half of the ball game. But the, the problem is, is, do I give Seattle a chance? Do I, in that type of pouring rain, do, do I really think that they could throw the ball on the 49ers? No. And the 49ers' run defense is absolutely outstanding. So I don't see Seattle really being able to move the ball. Where it maybe becomes a game is if Purdy also can't throw the ball and San Francisco doesn't get going what they want on offense, and it becomes closer late, like 17-9 to with three field goals, and somehow Seattle's still in it later. I, I I just... I don't think Seattle's a good enough ball club to beat San Francisco, and I don't think the rain changes that much. It, it might change the over, but I don't think it changes that much. Um, you know, the 49ers with Brock Purdy, I just think it's such an amazing thing that we are talking about a team being a legitimate Super Bowl-caliber team with a third-string quarterback. I don't know that that's ever happened, ever. Um, you're down to your second stringer. Most teams get dis- discounted heavily on their potential You know, when they get to the postseason. If you're on your third-string quarterback, you're never given any chance. And yet, and yet the 49ers are you know, a slight favorite in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl over the Eagles. I mean, they truly have the combination of one of the best rosters and one of the best coaching staffs to, I mean, for us to think that Brock Purdy, a seventh-round rookie, the last Mr. Irrelevant, that they, that, that they are a, a Super Bowl contender and they're 10-point favorite in their first playoff game. And next week, no matter who they play, they'll be a solid seven-point favorite. And then they'll go to Philadelphia maybe in the NFC Championship game. They might be favored in that game at Philly with Brock Purdy. I think I, – I, we did this segment earlier this week on, on the radio show. The team that you think is overvalued a little bit heading into this postseason perception-wise and the team that you think is undervalued a little bit, I said I think the 49ers are overrated a little bit. I can't see Purdy – I can't see a third-string quarterback leading a team to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're not going to beat Seattle, although you'll hear Seattle will be in the smell test coming up uh, in the next segment. Um, but I can't see – I just can't see a third-string quarterback winning the Super Bowl or being in the Super Bowl. 
So I think they're going to stumble somewhere because of him. I just don't know if they stumble anywhere within this NFC East playoff system unless it's in the championship game. Obviously they can, but you line up San Francisco against anybody else, and they're going to be at least a three-point favorite right now. Maybe not the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, they would be. Well, first of all, they would get the Cowboys. They would get the Cowboys at home. Um, they would. Who's going to beat them? Uh, Minnesota's not going to beat them. If Minnesota g- goes there next week, they're not going to beat them. I-, I just can't see them stopping the 49ers' run game or or anybody else. And I and I would think with the offensive line issues, I mean Bosa could have a field day. I don't think Minnesota can beat them. I don't think the you know. I don't uh, think the Giants. Uh, beat them. I don't think the Cowboys can beat them. The Eagles are the team that can beat them because they would have them at the link. Um. By the way, my, the under the, te- mean, the team the that Bucks could beat them. The team that I'm underrating a little bit right now that I think is underrated heading heading into this postseason is the team you just mentioned, the Bucks. And what's funny about that is I thought a couple of weeks ago they weren't going to make the postseason, and I didn't you know believe in them at all. By the way, they they were one of my over, the under bets for the season. Um, I won that. Um, lost on Indy, lost on New Orleans, won on Philly and uh, Tampa. I had Philly over and uh, Tampa under. But when they came back against the Panthers a couple of weeks ago and Brady threw for 430 and Mike Evans had 10 catches for over 200 yards and three touchdowns in that comeback win, I don't know, man. If if they if all of a sudden Evans and Godwin and Fournette and Brady and then they've got the def- they've got the defensive talent they have the talent with Devin White and you know David, and I mean they've got enough talent defensively. I think the Bucks are going to beat the Cowboys, and I think the Bucks have a chance to pull off a couple of wins here. I've got them as a bit underrated, and I've got the 49ers as a bit overrated. I'll, I'll give you a chance to answer those right now, and then we'll go through the rest of the games quickly. Who do you think is a little bit underappreciated heading into this postseason and then overrated? I think the Bengals are slightly underappreciated because of the Bills and the Chiefs. Because I think the Bengals can beat the Bills and the Chiefs if Burrow plays well and their defense keeps playing the way it plays. I wouldn't bet on them to win outright, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Okay. I mean, they, they're uh, the third the Bucks, pick. They're I the third pick in the AFC. But you're right. Buffalo and Kansas City are the are the favorites. Most people think that either Buffalo or Kansas City is going to represent the AFC in the in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think people do like Cincinnati the way you just described them. Um, but if you're not going to pick them, then I don't know if that's a real good, you know, underappreciated pick. You got to pick them. You got If you if you're going to say they're underrated, you got to okay. pick them to be in the Super Bowl. I, I, okay, well, I think the Bengals can be in the Super Bowl. Okay. Who's overrated? Well, the, well the, first of all, back to the Bucks. They're underrated because of their record and because of the performance throughout the year and the lack of defense throughout the year. And It's really interesting to me because Todd Bowles is one of the best defensive coordinators in, in football. I agree. But when he's, while he's been a head coach, he hasn't been the same defensive He was in New York. And he so was in New York. Their defenses were excellent in New York. Yeah. But it's, it's almost like Todd Bowles needs to have that extra two hours a day where he's doing administrative things to be scheming defense. 
<laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure he'll spend that time and they'll figure it out as far as defensive scheme. But I think they'll beat Dallas. And then the other thing is, like, you can't dismiss the pressure situation of the playoffs. And even to, like, Dak Prescott in this game, you know, he hasn't really dominated and taken a team to the Super Bowl. Oh, there's a lot of pressure on him. A lot of pressure on him. But Tom Brady has. A lot of pressure on Tom Dak. Brady's done it. A lot of pressure on the Cowboys no in general. I think they're the. I think Tom they, Brady they, knows how to lead his team to the Super Bowl. I think they have the most pressure on them than any team in the postseason. I think Minnesota. I think Kirk in particular has some pressure on 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 them to beat the Giants, but the expectations aren't for the Vikings to go to the Super Bowl. People have an expectation that the Cowboys should definitely beat Tampa and have a chance to make a run here. I think there's a lot of pressure on Prescott on Monday night. There, well, there is. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of pressure on that entire organization to perform and win playoff games. Yep. They're they're pretty talented as far as roster goes. They're pretty good defense. Their their offense they've been saying is this dynamic power. Their offense isn't. If it, if it becomes that against Tampa, and I'm wrong. Whatever. I just. Well, we talked about it earlier on Monday. I, I don't know if I trust Dak Prescott. I don't. I don't. I don't trust him. I don't trust Mike McCarthy. And you know, a friend of mine said to me the other day, "You do realize that he's won twenty four regular season games in two years." Uh, yeah, I I know that. He's twenty four and ten in the last two years. And you guys lost at home to Jimmy Garoppolo last year in the postseason. And now you're going to play a team with a losing record on Monday night. You know, on the road, and I know it's Tom Brady. I understand that. But you better win some playoff games. I mean, it's been decades. Decades. And so I, I think I, I would I would definitely worry about Dak if I were a Cowboy fan. I'd be worried about McCarthy. I, I really would. I think McCarthy is fine, but I don't know. I think he always kind of... Misses some of the game management stuff a lot. Um, but you know what? A, a lot of people, ap- after watching Dallas last week, a lot of the public's betting Tampa, but there is some sharp money on Tampa too. That line is now down to two and a half. I've seen some twos out there too. It opened at three. Dallas favored by three. All right, so Seattle, San Francisco, um, Tonight's game is actually one of the, you know, there are three big point spread games, Seattle, San Francisco, Miami, Buffalo, and Cincinnati and Baltimore. And then there are three super short spread games tonight, Chargers at Jags, Giants, Vikings tomorrow, and then the Monday nighter Cowboys at Bucks. So on the Chargers Jags game, just real quickly, I don't know if you know this, you know, last week, the Chargers played the Broncos and what turned out to be at kickoff. And let me just emphasize this because I'm not sure everybody understands this if you've been following this story. Going into last Sunday, the Chargers did have something to play for before the Baltimore-Cincinnati result. If Baltimore had beaten Cincinnati, um, then there was a chance that the Chargers could have dropped to the sixth seed and faced the Bengals instead of the Jags. So I think Brandon Staley prepared to play as starters. But once the game started, their their position as the five seed was etched in stone. And yet, he played his starters for a big portion of the game, and Mike Williams, who is 
who's been banged up and in and in and out of the lineup all year long, had come back, um, had ten, you know, seven catches for ninety-four yards in their route of the Rams on New Year's Day, was looking like Mike Williams again, and he fractures a back, you know, bone, and he's out for the postseason, and people are ripping Brandon Staley for playing Mike Williams and playing the starters. What's what what's your thought on this? You don't play the starters that are potential injury guys like Mike Williams. I, the other thing is I don't know if I play the starting receivers. If you want to play the starting quarterback guy, you got to play the starting offensive line. If you want Herbert in getting looks, but when the Chargers have been bad this year, it's because Herbert's had nobody but Austin Eckler to throw the football to. You know, when when he's got a couple weapons, then they've been in, in pretty good shape. But I, I like the Jags to beat the Chargers. I do too. I like. I, the- I, I've been impressed with the Jags, and I think the Jags are are underrated, but not underrated to win or get to a Super Bowl. I, I, I don't see that in any way possible going through what they would have to go through. But what what Marone's done there, and that what the way that team's grown throughout the year is they're they're a good football team. I've been impressed with what the Jags have been able to do, and I, I think they do beat the Chargers. Real quickly, the Bucks played their starters, or a lot of them in the first half, nothing to play for last week. Vikings had nothing to play for. They played many of their starters in the first half at Chicago. I mean, technically they, they still had a shot at the two seed, but the 49ers were playing the Cardinals. Um, it's not unusual for some coaches, even when they've got nothing to play for, especially if you're going to be the buy team and you're going to have the next week off to play the starters for some of the final game. Um, but given his recent injuries up and downs and he had gotten into a rhythm with, with Herbert at the end of the year, I don't think I would have played Mike Williams last week. I mean, it's easy to say that in hindsight. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, because Eckler didn't get hurt and Keenan Allen didn't get hurt and Justin Herbert didn't get hurt. Um, but, uh, man, that team, when they're healthy, is it, they're a team that actually could have made a run. But I think they needed yep. both Allen and Williams and everybody healthy. I mean, they got you know they got Joey Bosa back. Um, but that's a, that's a de- look. Bottom line tonight, I'll take Doug Peterson over Brandon Staley. Just that alone. I'm with you. I'll I'll take that. You you did ask about the starters. Just I'm sitting here thinking about it. One thing that's really interesting is it's still in some ways a how are we going to make this fair league with our own team. If we're going to let seven of these guys rest, the eighth, ninth, and tenth guys are sitting there going, why not me? Right. And then the rest of the guys are saying, why not me? And then, but then if you know you're really going to start you know, seven, eight, nine, ten backups, then are you going to practice them in the starting roster? Because you almost have to. So then you're not getting a week of practice out of your guys. You basically say sit down for the week, which, by the way, I don't hate. But everybody else on the team looks at this, this decision of who's not playing. And so if you got the balls to sit down and say, hey, look, Mike Williams has been here. He deserves it. And he's this is a good week for us to rest him, including Keenan Allen and whoever else. And if you don't like it, you can come see me and you can come talk about it. But we're making the decision to do this. Then I, I make the decision to do it. I have no problem with that. But there's a there's you can't you can't bench 20 starters you can't play a game doing that no nope 
you can't. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the right thing to do is. I, I personally, if I, if my position, playoff position is etched in stone, the most important thing for me is the games that matter and being the healthiest for that game. I understand wanting to stay in rhythm and in some cases getting guys back, you know, in trying to get them into rhythm with a quarterback and treating it like it's like the third preseason game. A lot of coaches handle it very differently. I also understand for the one seeds, you know, if you're going to have, you know, do you really want to play have 3 weeks pass between games for your starters or just 2 weeks? You know, that that would factor into it, but bottom line is I want to get to the game that matters. The one and done game, the help with my best players healthy, that would be number one on the list for me. All right, we both like. No, I, I hear you. We both like the 49ers. I like the Seahawks to cover. You'll hear them in the smell test coming up. We both like the Jags. We obviously both like the Bills. The Dolphins with Skylar Thompson starting don't have any shot at all. You know, some of you are going to wonder if uh, if Miami's going to be in the smell test, and nobody will bet Miami tomorrow. Um, I don't know that they can make a, a number high enough to get people on Miami. That number's at 13 and a half, probably headed to 14. The emotion in that building, I mean, it's possible that Hamlin might even be there. Who knows? I mean, just the, the incredible story of DeMar Hamlin. Um, I don't see the Dolphins having any chance at all with Skylar Thompson. You don't either, right? No, I don't. And I don't. I would love to see that game with the Dolphins playing the way they were in week 8, 9, 10 with Tua healthy. Right. Actually, he might not have been healthy in one of those games, but when he was playing at a high level, I would love to see that matchup because I think Mike McDaniel did a really good job with that team in year one. It's And it's really interesting, like, if you're Tua, what are you going to do moving forward? Like, uh-huh. how many more are you going to take? And how are you going to handle that? And, and that's actually a really interesting conversation for the Dolphins and how they're going to handle that situation. Right. But they got to uh, they got to pick up the option this year. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough And uh, that's unfair and and then when two was on this year and and healthy, he was really good. And he in the wet with Waddle and Tree Kill and the way they were running the ball with Mike McDaniel and yeah, gosh dang! But no, they have no shot. All right, they have no shot to beat Minnesota Giants. I don't know what I'm going to get out of Minnesota on offense every week. I, I I think when they're good, they can outscore people, and they should be good because they have the guys to be good. I, I mean, if they can control the ball a little bit more and run and run it a little bit more with Dalvin Cook and keep it out of the Giants' hands or any other team's hands, and you're obviously going to find a way to get Justin Jefferson the ball ten times, and Thielen's impactful, and and, and Hawkinson's there now. And I, I, But I think they do have to focus some on controlling the game because it can get away from them on defense. So I don't really know what they'll try to do against the Giants. The Giants. I mean, the thing is, is like I don't love the Giants either, but I feel like the Giants have a plan of who they are and a direction of what way they want to go. And and look, this could end up, you know, Minnesota going nuts, and it could be thirty-one to twenty, whatever, and Minnesota wins it. But for some reason, I think the Giants win this ball game. A lot of people like the Giants to win this ball game. Um, 
Daniel Jones has been just in, in what an incredible season ultimately Jones had. Uh, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to extend him. I can't imagine that New York is thinking about another quarterback at this point. He had the, 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 the season of his career. Um, he's been great for them when it's mattered. Their defense has really improved, really starting with the two Washington games. Um, they gave up a lot against Minnesota, but Minnesota get you know the, I think they finished fourth or fifth or whatever overall offensively. Um, the biggest concern, if you're a Minnesota person, is you've got the worst pass defense in the NFL. Um, your run defense is ranked a little bit higher um, only because teams are just throwing against them. You gave up 330 yards to Daniel Jones with, you know, Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James, you know, combining for 16 catches and 180 yards. Minnesota's defense is terrible. Um, they're going to have to score. Uh, probably what they did at the very least three weeks ago, 27 points, and they won on a walk-off field goal, 27-24. And by the way, they won the turnover battle plus two. The Giants had two turnovers and still only got beat on a 61-yard field goal. Everything about this game says Giants. I understand that, and everybody likes the Giants. I like Minnesota to play well um, on Sunday. Uh, on tomorrow. I think they'll have a big-time home field advantage. It's the first for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and Le- even a guy like Leonard Williams playing in his first game. Um, I think Minnesota, you know, uh, like everybody, you know, Kirk in, in these spots, he's been great this year in these spots, and he's come up big in a playoff game before. He went down and beat the Saints, you know, in a playoff game before. I think they're going to have to run the football, though, a little bit. I think that's the way the Giants actually can be attacked a little bit. But Wink Martindale pressured Minnesota 45% of the dropbacks. Cousins still threw for 300, but he, got, he took a pounding in that game. Um, but I like Minnesota to win, in part just because I think everybody seems to think the Giants are going to win. Now, here's the game that I really am so intrigued with. I think Baltimore's got a shot against Cincinnati tomorrow night. Nobody thinks they've got a shot. Their defense is lights out good. They have, they're getting J.K. Dobbins back. That organization is built for moments like this, you know, with all the controversy surrounding Jackson. He's going to be out. In some ways, I think Anthony Brown can throw the ball better than Tyler Huntley. But I think Gus Edwards will be a big uh, game-time decision for them. But I think they can hang in there. And I think they've got a chance tomorrow night against Cincinnati. They beat them once this year. That was with Lamar. They lost last week. The game was closer than the final score indicated. Baltimore turned the ball over four times, lost 27-16. to um, They were in the red zone, I think, four times against Cincinnati. I think they've got a shot tomorrow night. I know you and pretty much everybody else doesn't think they do, but I think this is a game where an organization like Baltimore figures out a way to have a chance to win it. I think they figure out a way to have a chance to win it, and I think this is like the number one game that I I would go out and say Baltimore covers. This would be the first one I'd take of the big dogs. I just don't think 
of the, of the big one. They're eight and a half right now. It, it was nine and a half yesterday when I gave Baltimore out uh, uh, as a smell I'm test. I'm looking at eight and a half. It's come down, strong. but I'm, I'm going to tell you in my next segment when I get to the smell test, I'm taking the the number that I gave out yesterday. <laughs> That's unfair, but sometimes oh. you know, sometimes it hurts me too. But yeah, I like I like Baltimore. I think Baltimore is going to score more than people think tomorrow night. Um, I'm really intrigued by this game. It's, it's actually the game I'm looking forward to watching the most. Now, it could completely go sideways. Cincinnati's really good. They're good. Baltimore's outstanding on defense. I mean, they are legit nasty on defense. So I am interested to see. And Harbaugh, I don't know. He, th- th- This is the kind of game he gets his team to overachieve in. His teams in the past, in the postseason, no matter where they've been, they've always played better, even if they haven't won the game, than you thought they would play going into it. Can you imagine if they win, somehow win a couple games in this postseason? Without Lamar. Yeah, Lamar, we're good. Yeah. Yep. They have a huge uphill battle to win games in the postseason. They really do. Uh, it's a huge uphill battle against Cincinnati. I, I, I just don't think they. I don't think they have it to beat Cincinnati. I, well, here's what here's what I do know, and you're right. It may be Harbaugh in a big spot that, with what they have right now. They're going to lose to Cincinnati four out of five times. Right. It's just whether or not tomorrow night. Find the, a way to put it together. Yeah, to, is, is, is tomorrow night the the one? I don't think they're going to lose to Cincinnati with what they have, you know, 19 out of 20 times. I'm, I think it's, it's better odds than that. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Baltimore win a, win a game. Uh, yeah, even though you kind of pick Cincinnati to p- perhaps get to the Super Bowl. Um, no. I would, I well, yeah, but I would, I, I still, I, Cincinnati. I know. The odds are Cincinnati's winning the game. Yeah. Um, we both like Tampa Monday night. Against Dallas? Yeah, I like camp against Dallas. My Super Bowl pick is Kansas City over Philadelphia. What's yours? Mine's Buffalo over San Francisco. I had Buffalo winning the Super Bowl before the season started. I just think they've been at times shaky here um, down the stretch. Uh, And I think Kansas City's super hungry. Uh, you know they just had they have last year losing the AFC title game at home year before losing to Tampa in the Super Bowl you know for the, all that's said about the Chiefs and they are great and I I put out a question the other day I don't know that I can't think of any player that's ever been a lock Hall of Famer faster than Patrick Mahomes like if his career if his career ended tomorrow he would he would be a Hall of Famer lock Hall of Famer. Um, and I, I just see, uh, you know, I, I think they're vulnerable sometimes defensively, even though Chris Jones has been phenomenal this year. Um, I just have a feeling they're going to figure it out. And in the, the new, the, it'll be a neutral field NFC title game in Atlanta if it's KC Buffalo. Uh, unfair to Cincinnati, by the way, if they do win, that they'll have to play at Buffalo next week. But that's part of the whole you know, fallout from the league and, and the Hamlin situation. Um, but uh, I got I had Buffalo over New Orleans at the beginning of the season. That didn't quite work out. I did have Philadelphia uh, in the NFC Championship game winning, I think, 13 games. Um, and then uh, – but now I've got Kansas City over Philly. 
um, you, you'd have uh, basically a an Andy Reid uh, against his former team in the Super Bowl with the Chiefs winning. So you've got Buffalo over San Francisco in the Super Bowl. I do. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Let me ask you one more question. I want to ask you one more question. Okay. Do you see anyone in the Super Bowl outside of Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, 49ers? It's hard to see that. I guess... I guess if like Brady got hot with Evans and Godwin and the defense stepped up, like could I see Tampa beating Dallas and then going to Philly and winning in Philly with Philly being, you know, not playing great here down the stretch, having a banged up quarterback and then maybe a San Francisco Tampa NFC title game. I guess So well you said B- Buffalo, Kansas City, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Yes, I could see Cincinnati. I, I agree with you. I could yeah. see Cincinnati in the Super Bowl. I could see Tampa in the Super Bowl. I, I, I didn't think that a month but, but ago. No I thought they else. sucked. So, so now let's – okay, let's do this. Yeah. Add, add Cincinnati and Tampa to the equation. Can anybody else make it to the Super Bowl? I say absolutely, no question, not. I, the, if, I'll tell you what. I would have given the Chargers half a chance fully healthy. Mm, no, nah, they can't make it to the AFC. Okay. Um, I mean, you know who's pl- – I mean, they have had – every time they play the Chiefs, the game comes down to overtime or a last-second field goal or touchdown. Because the one thing I would say is, is if anybody out of, out of the the bottom teams we, we've, we've talked about today is in the Super Bowl, I will be rooting for them. Uh, that's not true. Uh, I cannot root for Dallas or Seattle ever. I cheer for them to lose every game. Why Seattle? Because you lost two playoff games to them? Three, actually. Three. Three. Three times, yeah. Tired of Seattle. Oh, for three in the playoffs against them. That said, though, it'd be hard not to not – to... Seattle's not making the Super Bowl. They, like, they no, 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 no. And, and Minnesota, the only way I could see them making it is if – if Seattle knocked off San Francisco, so then next week they're hosting, you know, Tampa, let's just say, after the Giants. And then in the right. NFC title game, you know, they end up hosting, uh, you know, or maybe how, I, no, they wouldn't be able to win at Philadelphia. I, I, they're just, the problem with, with Minnesota is I could certainly see them offensively being in every game. They're just, they're the worst defensive team in the postseason. So I can't give right. them any love. The Cowboys, I mean, I, I don't know why we're not mentioning the Cowboys. I do know why we're not mentioning them, but I think maybe midway through this season I would have been surprised that I'm mentioning them. But Dak's been unimpressive to me, and I don't trust McCarthy. So that's Cincinnati-Tampa outside so the top four. Division, but in that division, you could say a 12-5 and five Dallas team has a shot. If they put it together in that, in that conference, you mean? Yeah, you, um, could say, you could say in that conference they got a shot to get to the Super Bowl. All right, and that's uh, a good defense. Dallas has a good defense. You so. gonna, are you going to watch all the games? I'm going to watch every game. All right, then we'll talk on Monday. All right, all right. Thanks Sounds for doing good. this. All right, uh, my smell test. Also, the All Pro team, the AP All Pro team, came out, uh, and I'll mention uh, where some of the Washington players got votes. One player made the team. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. The smell test is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Many of you already have a spot. Some of you have MyBookie as your spot. Um, If you don't have MyBookie as your main place, Sign up with MyBookie. Take the free money and use MyBookie as a place to comparison shop on point spreads, on totals, on money lines, on prop bets. You know, if you don't, if you, if you don't have to buy the half point to get it from six and a half to seven on an underdog, and you can get it at seven at MyBookie at minus one ten, that's a big savings. You don't want to pay minus one twenty, minus one twenty five. Some places charging minus one thirty to buy a half point, even more expensive in some of these newer uh, places. Um, I was checking out, by the way, some of the prop bets uh, and the Super Bowl odds in particular right now as we are on the eve of you know this Super Bowl uh, tournament. Um, Kansas City's the favorite at plus 340, and then it's Buffalo at plus 380. And then it's the Niners at plus 490, ahead of Philadelphia at plus 510. I just think it's amazing that a team starting a rookie third-string quarterback is the number one pick out of the NFC to win the Super Bowl. Behind Buffalo and Kansas City, I just think that's unprecedented. I don't think – I can't remember. Obviously, Nick Foles was a backup quarterback. Um, Jeff Hostetler had been starting regular season games, was a backup quarterback, went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Earl Morrill, who started for the 72 Dolphins um, for much of the year, including both of their playoff games, was not the starter. Uh, In the Super Bowl, which we will get to, by the way, in our next segment, that's what I'm going to finish up the show with, 50 years ago today, the Redskins' first visit to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Seven. Bob Greasy was healthy, actually played in the AFC Championship game, came in in relief of Earl Morrill. But Earl Morrill, Earl Morrill had started a Super Bowl, the 68 Colts, with Unitas' uh, you know, injury um, and Earl Morrill uh, guiding the Colts into Super Bowl Three against Namath. And, of course, that was one of the biggest upsets in sports history. I just, I'm dumbfounded that we are sitting here and we're not even that 
moved by the fact that the 49ers are a favorite out of the NFC to win the to, to get to the Super Bowl and the third favorite overall to win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Pretty incredible. Uh, again, I think it's unprecedented. If somebody wants to tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC and tell me about the third string quarterback that was this highly thought of or on a team that was this highly thought of going into the postseason, I'm all ears. I can't remember one. Um, all right. The smell test last week, 0 and 1. Uh, I gave out Cleveland against Pittsburgh, did not get it done there. I had Detroit as an if bet. If they were playing for the postseason, I liked Detroit. I really liked Detroit overall, um, but I just didn't know where that number would go. Uh, And that's why uh, playing it on that Friday, um, knowing that the number could go to six, six and a half, seven, something, something like that, if they were eliminated, um, I'd made it uh, one of those if bets. So it didn't count. By the way, the line did climb to six, and then the Sharps came in and absolutely drove it right back down to four and a half and four. Uh, the Sharps liked Detroit regardless of whether or not they were playing for the postseason. In some cases, it may have made more sense to play Detroit not playing for anything in hindsight. Uh, because maybe the pressure would have gotten to them. Maybe they wouldn't have run that little hitch and pitch on that second and 17 or third and 17, whatever it was, before they went for the fourth down. Actually, it was the second and 17, and then they came up short on third down, went for went for it on fourth down to, to clinch the game uh, at Lambeau. Um, I, be, I did bet Detroit. I got them at plus six Sunday night. I waited for the line, and at plus six, I bought it there uh, and played it there. I almost waited thinking it might go to six and a half, and then I could buy the half point and get it to seven. Um, But uh, it was getting really close to kickoff, and then it was driven down, I'm telling you, in like the last 15, 20 minutes before kickoff last Sunday night. So still, for the regular season, plus 14 uh, units, 14 games above 500. Pretty good year. Not the best year by a long shot that I've ever had, but a good year um, with – 13 more opportunities in terms of games, many more, uh, 26 opportunities if we take the totals um, as well. All right, um, there are some games that I like um, this weekend, and you're going to hate them. (laughs) You're going to absolutely hate them. It starts today. Uh, Seattle is getting 10. Uh, 10 is a number that is available on Seattle. I'm going to take the 10 and the Seahawks in what should be an absolute miserable field uh, and day um, in Santa Clara. They've had heavy rains. They're expecting it all day today. Nobody is betting Seattle. Give me the Seahawks plus the 10 uh, at San Francisco. Go to, to tomorrow. The first game tomorrow that I like is Minnesota laying three against the Giants. The public's actually backing the Giants, and every single fan and expert seems to think that the Vikings stink and they're going to lose this game to the Giants that they just beat on Christmas Eve a few weeks back, 27-24, to and needed a 61-yard field goal to do it. Look, I've, I've given 
teams against the Vikings multiple times and gotten burned this year. You know, I gave out the Patriots on Thanksgiving night. I gave out the Jets, a couple of others as well. I think I gave out Detroit against them and actually won that game, but can't remember specifically. Here's the deal. The Vikings are absolutely terrible on defense, Um, but they can can score. Uh, And the Giants, you know, this is their first playoff game with Daniel Jones. For Minnesota, they've got some veterans on that team that have played in some playoff games, not a lot, you know, and it's been three years since they beat New Orleans and then lost to the 49ers in the divisional round. They didn't win 13 games by accident. I think they're being shorted too much. Publix on New York, a dog. I'll take Minnesota, lay the three. And then I'll tell you what, the game that I like the most, uh, and this is the one you're probably going to hate even more than Seattle, I like the Ravens. Now, the line's back down to eight and a half, nine. When I gave it out yesterday on radio, it was nine and a half. This number's been bouncing around a lot. I'm going to stick with the nine and a half because I gave it out yesterday at nine and a half. I know that doesn't benefit you, but sometimes I'm on the wrong side of these. Nobody is betting on Baltimore tomorrow night. Nobody. It is the most heavily lopsided public bet. Um, there is some sharp money on, on the Ravens. There's also some some sharp money on Cincinnati. I don't know that they're going to be able to put a number out high enough to get the public to bet Baltimore. This is going to be a huge need for the bookmakers. I will take the Ravens plus the 9.5. I have a weird feeling they're going to be in this game with a chance to win it. This is Harbaugh. This is... A great defense. They're they're getting J.K. Dobbins back. No Lamar, obviously. I actually like Anthony Brown a little bit more than Huntley, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, But I'm going to go Baltimore plus the nine and a half. And one more wager. Everybody thinks that game's got, you know, 20 to 3 written all over it, under. I'll go over the 40 in that. I'm looking at 23-20, 24-20, something like that in this game. So, recapping uh, today, Seattle plus 10, tomorrow, Minnesota minus 3, Baltimore plus 9.5, and and the over in the Baltimore-Cincinnati game, over the 40. I would lean Jags, but there's sharp money on the Chargers. That number's up to 2.5. I think, personally, I'm going to play Jacksonville um, plus the 3 by the half point if I need to. I thought about the Dolphins, but... There's a lot of sharp money on Buffalo, even though all the public money is on Buffalo as well. So, again, Seattle, Minnesota, Baltimore, the Baltimore-Cincinnati, over. Um, Before we finish up the show with one more segment where I want to talk about what happened 50 years ago today, um, I wanted to just mention, you know, first of all, congratulations to Jeremy Reeves. I mean, Jeremy Reeves becomes just the third Washington uh, all-pro first-teamer in the last quarter century. All right, Actually, it's longer than that. Matt Turk, 1996, Brandon Sheriff in 2020, and now Jeremy Reeves, special-teamer, first-team all-pro. I mean, that is impressive. No other Washington player made the first team or the second team uh, in in regards to the all-pro team. Um, But several got lots of votes, and I wanted to go through that real quickly. Um, I don't necessarily – I mean, I really would would have loved to have seen John Allen make – 
the second team. By the way, if you're wondering, the defensive tackles, and this is really the position that I was focused on. Um, Chris Jones, Quinn and Williams. By the way, this is the AP. This is the true all-pro team. The other day was the NFLPA players all-pro team. But this is the one that players, I think, get bonused on. The AP all-pro team. The interior lineman first team, Chris Jones, Quinn and Williams. Both of those players were outstanding this year. Second team, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons. I certainly don't have a problem with Simmons. I certainly don't have a problem with Jones or Quinn and Williams. Dexter Lawrence was really good this year. He really was. Um, I think John Allen was just as good. On the interior lineman voting, all right, I wanted to share that uh, with all of you so that you knew exactly where not only John Allen came in, but Deron Payne. So Jones was number one overall, Chris Jones, Quinnen Williams two, Dexter Lawrence three, Jeffrey Simmons four. Then it was Christian, so those were the all pros, first and second team interior linemen. Then it was Christian Wilkins, he had a hell of a year in Miami, Cameron Hayward in Pittsburgh um, as uh, five and six, and then John Allen came in as the seventh best defensive lineman per the all pro AP voting. Um, he had 11 overall votes, three first place votes. All right, so there were a couple of players. Well, one player in particular, Cameron Hayward, right in front of him, did not get any first place votes. Allen got three first place votes. Allen finished ahead of Aaron Donald, who just missed too many games this year, um, being injured. Uh, so it was um, two, four, six. Allen was seven. Donald was eight. Hargrave in Philadelphia, nine. Deron Payne came in at 10th in the voting for interior linemen ahead of Grady Jarrett and DeForest Buckner. Those were all of the D linemen, interior D linemen, to get all pro votes. So Allen and Payne were certainly in the mix. Allen was certainly in the mix. Um, He ended up basically uh, 13 total points. Got the same number of first-place votes that Jeffrey Simmons got. Simmons came in fourth, made the second team. Um, But Allen uh, comes in seventh uh, and Payne tenth. You know, last year I was a little bit more upset with some of the players that were ahead of uh, Allen given his year. Um, But his sack total, you know, down from last year. Payne's obviously at 11.5, a career year for him. I'm glad he got recognized. I'm glad people recognized how good Deron Payne was this year. But it was a year, man, for interior defensive linemen. I mean, Jones and Quinnen Williams is just a beast. Dexter Lawrence had a great year. I think personally Jeffrey Simmons – you know, after Donald, is the best interior D lineman in the game. Although Quinn and Williams is damn close. Uh, Wilkins and Hayward over Allen, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see enough of either one of them. When I watched Miami, Christian Wilkins was an absolute beast. Um, I I would have loved to have seen Allen pushing that second team. Uh, But anyway, that was the voting on that. The other one that I'm sure many of you are curious about, the receivers. Um, so the wide receiver voting, uh, also, by the way, the punting, uh, the punter voting, I'll get to that in a moment. The wide receiver voting, um, did Terry McLaurin get a vote? He did not. He did not get one all pro vote. Remember, he only had 77 receptions, guys, 25th in the league. 
You know, he was hurt by the fact that they weren't very good at quarterback, not very good along the offensive line. Many of you would say not good enough at offensive coordinator. That's fine. The wide receivers that got votes, Justin Jefferson uh, was the front runner, followed by Tariq Hill. They made the all-pro first team. Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown were the second team wide receivers. Then came Stefan Diggs at five, C.D. Lamb at six, Amon Ross St. Brown at seven, Jalen Waddell at eight, Jamar Chase at nine. Those were the nine receivers to receive all pro votes. I mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown as somebody that should have absolutely been in consideration for the Pro Bowl. I'm not saying he wasn't in consideration. I think he should have been a Pro Bowler. He had 106 catches. I mean, CeeDee Lamb and Terry McLaurin are the backup Pro Bowlers uh, to A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson. And I'm fine with that. And I think it's great respect shown to Terry by his players um, and fans. Uh, it's you know, and and the understanding as uh, in terms of the the limitations of the quarterback and the offense that he was on. But Amon Ross St. Brown has developed into an elite receiver. He really has. Um, so uh, Terry did not get a, a vote at wide receiver. And then while Tressway is the Pro Bowl punter, all right, there were. Four punters who got more All-Pro votes than he did. Uh, Tommy Townsend's the first team All-Pro. Ryan Stonehouse in Tennessee, the second. Then it was A.J. Cole, Johnny Hecker. And I mentioned Hecker. He had a better average, a better net average, and more punts inside the 20 than Tress Way did. But Tress Way was the pro bowler. Um, And then it was way after Hecker. So Way was the second best punter out of the NFC behind Hecker in terms of voting. Um, but the fifth best punter in the league overall. So those were the vote getters um, for Washington um, uh, in terms of Pro Bowl votes. Jeremy Reeves becoming amazingly, actually, the third All Pro since 1996. That's it. First team All Pro we're talking about. Trent Williams made uh, had several second team All Pros, um, but it was Matt Turk back in '96. Uh, Brandon Sheriff in 2020, and Jeremy Reeves, first-team All-Pro special teamer. What a great story. What a great video the team put out a few weeks ago when Ron Rivera um, informed Jeremy Reeves of his Pro Bowl status. I've said it when he got the Pro Bowl uh, nod. It kind of you know, went over my head during the course of the year. There were days when I came in here on Mondays and said I thought Jeremy Reeves was outstanding on teams, but it didn't occur to me that he was the best special teamer in the league. Um, But uh, the AP believes he is. Um, The players believe that he is. Congratulations to Jeremy Reeves. Um, Of all the players we could have voted on before the season to become the third first-team All-Pro, I don't think Jeremy Reeves would have gotten uh, even a thought. He wouldn't have been on the ballot, so good for him. Um, And, you know, John Allen and Deron Payne, look, lots of great defensive tackles, lots of great receivers. You know, these are two positions that have really blown up here in the, I mean, the receiver market, clearly, um, but the interior defensive lineman market as well. All right, when we come back, I'm going to finish up with what happened 50 years ago today. That's right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. 
Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. I'm Kurt Gowdy. To call the play-by-play for you today, Al DeRogatis will be analyzing the game, and Bill Ennis will be roaming the sidelines and the dressing rooms. Super Bowl Seven on paper before the kickoff looks like the best match, the most intriguing match we've had yet in these Super Bowl games. First of all, we have a team coming in here undefeated, untied, the Miami Dolphins. No team has ever come into the Super Bowl with an unblemished record. No team has ever won 17 games in a row in a professional football season. Miami's shooting for that record today. Then we have the two coaches, George Allen and Don Shula. They are two of the winningest and two of the finest coaches in pro football opposing each other today. We have a lot of romance to the game. The no-name defense boys of Miami against the outcasts, the old men of the Washington Redskins. And there's still a rivalry. There's still a strong feeling in America about the old AFL, the Miami Dolphins, against the old NFL, the Washington Redskins. This game appears to have it all. That the unmistakable voice, for many of you anyway, of the legendary Kurt Gowdy, 50 years ago today, Super Bowl Seven, January 14th, 1973 at the L.A. Coliseum, Miami capped off the only perfect start-to-finish season during the Super Bowl era, beating the Redskins in their first ever Super Bowl game, 14-7. to I remember this very well. The 71 season is really my first memory of sort of football and the Redskins, the George Allen team of 71. 72, I remember that season. I remember the NFC Championship game, which we went through a couple of weeks ago with Billy Kilmer. Billy was great. You'll hear him again here um, coming up here shortly on Super Bowl Seven. Um, but... Uh, That was uh, such a massive event. The Super Bowl was still in its infancy. There, there had only been six, but it had it had become, you know, sort of a national fixation at that point. You know, Joe Namath really made the Super Bowl when the Jets upset the Colts in Super Bowl. 
Three, by the time you got to Super Bowl Seven, the Super Bowl was a big deal. Now, the game wasn't played in prime time. Kickoff was at 3.50 in the afternoon. In fact, for D.C. area sports fans, what kicked the day off on January 14, 1973, was a college basketball heavyweight matchup between second-ranked NC State, led by the great David Thompson, and third-ranked Maryland at Cole Fieldhouse. It began a tradition of several years in a row of Maryland and NC State playing on Super Bowl Sunday. Maryland and NC State was a big-time ACC rivalry during the 70s. That game was watched by more than 25 million people. It was on NBC prior to the Super Bowl, and David Thompson tipped in a shot at the buzzer, or with like two seconds to go to beat Maryland, 87 to 85. And then it was time for the Super Bowl, and again, not prime time. 3:50 p.m. was kickoff in the Coliseum, so 12:50 p.m. West Coast time. The Skins were favored. You know, even though Miami was the undefeated team and the Redskins had lost three games in the regular season, the Redskins were anywhere from one to two point favorites. You know, you'll see some things that list Miami as a one point favorite or as a, the game is a pick 'em, but a lot more of the documentation um, and the writing about this game said the Redskins were favored by somewhere between a point and a half and two points. Um, The reason they were favored or thought to be uh, as good, if not better, than Miami, even though they had three losses and Miami had none, is there was, as you heard Kurt Gowdy say, there was still, you know, this NFL-AFL thing, which was now the NFC and the AFC. We were now, you know, two years beyond the merger of the two leagues. And by the way, we were three years beyond the AFL winning back-to-back Super Bowls, the Jets winning Super Bowl three and the Chiefs winning Super Bowl four as a heavy underdog um, against uh, the Vikings. Super Bowl five was won by an old NFL team, but they were now an AFC team, and they beat the Cowboys in Super Bowl V. Super Bowl VI, the Cowboys had destroyed Miami, um, and Shula came back as a two-time Super Bowl loser with the Colts in Super Bowl III and against the Cowboys uh, in Super Bowl VI and had his undefeated Dolphins there. But the Dolphins of 72 were not... And still to this day, they're not considered the greatest Super Bowl winner. They had a lot of close games. They had quarterback issues during the year. Bob Greasy got hurt. Earl Morrill was the starting quarterback. Um, you know, I mentioned him, I think, in the last segment. Um, but uh, the Redskins were dominant defensively. George Allen's 72 skins, actually all of George Allen's teams here, were just dominant defensive teams. They, they had allowed just six total points in their two playoff games, 16-3 to over Green Bay, 26-3 to over the Cowboys. The Dolphins had come in. They had actually trailed uh, the Cleveland Browns in the divisional playoff game in Miami going into the fourth quarter, 14-13. to Mike Phipps was the quarterback of the Browns. He threw five interceptions, and yet the Dolphins still had only beaten Cleveland by six. And then the Dolphins had beaten Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game at Three Rivers. They did not have home 
field advantage because it wasn't based back then off of record. Um, it was done on a rotating business, a divisional rotating uh, basis, and the Steelers hosted that AFC title game, and the Dolphins got by 21-17. to 17. Bob Greasy had come in, uh, was healthy, had come in for Earl Morrill in the second half of that game and then started Super Bowl seven. So there were some question marks about Miami, even though they had the undefeated record. And the Redskins had been dominant in their two playoff games. That's why Washington came in as the team that many thought would win uh, the game. So anyway, the game was really dominated by Miami. Washington's defense was outstanding. Bob Greasy threw 11 passes the entire game. He was 8 of 11, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, Larry Zonka had 15 carries, 112 yards. Jim Kick, Mercury Morris combined for another 72 yards. So they ran the ball uh, on Washington. They ran for 184 yards. Um, But Bob Greasy, imagine a quarterback winning a Super Bowl 8 of 11 for 88 yards. Um, Billy Kilmer, on the flip side, did not have one of his better games, and you'll hear him talk about it here coming up shortly. 14 of 28, 104 yards, and three interceptions uh, in the game. But the crucial moment in the game, with Washington trailing 14 to nothing, came midway through the fourth quarter. Washington had moved the football up and down the field. They had missed a field goal. Washington down 14 to nothing, had the ball uh, midway through the fourth quarter, threatening deep into Miami territory when this happened. Second down, seven to go. The Redskins just short of the 10-yard line. Earlier in this half, they reached the 17. This has been their deepest penetration of the game. Gilmer into the end zone, and it hits the goalpost. Going into that end zone down there, Billy Kilmer said, what more can happen? Jerry Smith, the tight end, looked like he was open, cutting behind the goalpost, deep in the end zone. Yeah, the goalpost got in the way of a touchdown pass from Kilmer to Jerry Smith. The goalpost, that was the last year, 19, actually, no, 73 was the last year. The, uh, two years later, the goalpost would move 10 yards back to the end line. Uh, it was that way in college. College had the goalpost uh, at the back of the end zone. The NFL still had them at the goal line. Um, For safety reasons, eventually they would move them uh, because there were many collisions. You go back and you watch, you know, highlights of the NFL from the 60s and the 70s, the early 70s before they moved the goalposts back, and there were major collisions with the goalposts. Safety was not a top priority back then. But the the crossbar um, got in the – or the upright actually got in the way um, and uh, it would have been a touchdown to make it 14-7, to and Washington's defense was really dominant in that game. Instead, they came away with nothing, but they did score um, later in the quarter, just over two minutes to go in the game. This is one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history. All right, here's your premium on for a 42-yard field goal attempt. Earl Morrill holding... And this kick is blocked. Yepremian has it. (laughs) Throws a pass up with the ball. It's Mike Bass. He's running away for a touchdown. Mike Bass scores. 
What a kooky play that was. Gary Upremian lost his head and tried to throw a pass. It went in the hands of Mike Bass. He scores. If they kick the point now, the Redskins, with 2.07 to go, are behind by seven. Incredible. Upremian trying to make that pass, as Gowdy called it, a kooky play. 14-7 now, with two minutes to go in the game. Washington did not kick an onside kick. They kicked deep. They had timeouts. Miami actually got a first down, but Washington still had enough time with a minute 13 left. This is a play that many don't remember. When they think back, they think, you know, Washington got the, the the block field goal and the return by Mike Bass for a 14 to seven final, but they really never had a chance to win it. But at 14 to seven, with a minute 13 left. Washington's special teams, which were the best in the league, Washington and George Allen, the first to hire a special teams coach, Marv Levy. Yeah, that Marv Levy was Washington's special teams coach. Washington, one of the first to have a dedicated coach coaching special teams. And they were notorious through the 70s for blocking punts and blocking field goals. And so with a minute 13 left, Washington had one last legitimate shot on this pun attempt by Miami. Now Larry Seipel, this will be the most important pun of his career. They're going after him. Boy, he just got it away. The tight end Austin nearly blocked it. Heyman takes it on the 25 to the 30, and he's dumped there. Mac Alston nearly blocked that punt, number 81 for the Redskins. Came very close to it. Mac Alston almost got it. Almost got it. I mean, it probably would have been picked up and returned for a score, or at the very least, Washington would have had it deep in Miami territory with a chance to potentially score, kick the extra point, and force the first overtime game. Uh, in Super Bowl history. Um, We had to wait many, many, many years for Atlanta and New England to actually play the first uh, Super Bowl overtime game. Uh, But Washington did get the ball back, but they went three incompletions and then a sack on fourth down, and Miami won the game 14-7. Of course, 10 years later, the 82 skins would play the Dolphins in Super Bowl 17 and eventually get their revenge. The revenge in that game came for Sonny Jurgensen in the 1974 season. Sonny tore his Achilles midway through the season in 72. Kilmer quarterbacked them. Sonny always felt like the regular season game in 1974 against the Dolphins was his Super Bowl. Uh, he, uh, Many uh, Redskin fans certainly believe if Sonny had been the quarterback, they would have beaten the Dolphins that day in the Coliseum in 72. Sonny got his revenge. 80-yard drive. I think we talked about this a week ago. 80-yard drive to beat the Dolphins in the 74 regular season, 20-17 to 17 on a touchdown pass to Larry Smith with about four seconds to go. But Super Bowl seven, 50 years ago, 50 years ago today, the 72 skins uh, were the first uh, of what would become five Redskin teams to go to Super Bowls. They won three of them. Uh, they beat the Dolphins, as we know. They beat the Broncos. They beat the Bills. 
Uh, they lost to the Dolphins in 72, and they lost, of course, to the Raiders in 83. Um, but what a day that was 50 years ago. Uh, they lost the game. It was heartbreaking, but it was one hell of a season. And really, I believe, and some will say, no, the 60s skins, even though, even though they lost, were exciting, and they were the number one show in town. But I think George Allen really is responsible for making the Redskins and, and football, pro football in this town, um, what it you know would become, and that is the number one you know followed team, the number one event you know year in and year out when they played. Um, Allen brought uh, Washington a winner in 1971. They got to the playoffs in 72, going to the to going to the Super Bowl in 73. They went back to the playoffs and lost in the divisional round to Minnesota. 74, they went back to the playoffs and lost in the divisional round to the Rams. 75, they missed the postseason. They were involved in three overtime games in 1975, losing two of them to the Raiders and the Cardinals, which were devastating losses. But then they were back in the postseason in 76 and lost to Minnesota uh, as a wild card team. And then that was it. Allen didn't get their, the team to the postseason in 77 and got fired uh, after that 77 season. Um, but what uh, a run George Allen had. And the 72 season led by Larry Brown on offense. He was the league's MVP and really the league's best defense um, all veteran players, mostly, um, a lot of them former Rams, um, leading the way for them in the postseason and giving them a chance with really not a lot of offense in Super Bowl Seven to win the game. By the way, the MVP of Super Bowl Seven was Jake Scott. Um, Jake Scott uh, in that particular game ended up uh, with two interceptions. He got two of the interceptions, including one in the end zone on Billy Kilmer. And Jake Scott would eventually become part of George Allen's Over the Hill Gang, finishing his career in 1976, 77, and 78 with the Redskins. Um, Anyway, uh, for you old-timers, 50 years ago today, Super Bowl seven, 14-7 Miami. I'll finish up the show by letting you hear uh, the part of the conversation with Billy Kilmer. If you missed that show from December 31st, go back and listen to it. Uh, he was great in, in remembering the championship win over the Cowboys. But part of that conversation, we got to what happened two weeks later in the Super Bowl. So I'll finish up the show today by letting you listen to Billy for about a minute on Super Bowl Seven. I'll be back Monday recapping all of the NFL playoff games in Enjoy him. Two weeks later was a disappointment, but man, you know, in Super Bowl Seven, you had chances. You know, I, I've always thought that 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 one throw to Jerry Smith in the back of the end zone that hit the crossbar was the big one. Yeah, it was. It would if it had got that in, it might have been a different different ball game. You know, and then you know, with uh, what Jagaro, your premium, yep. doing his little deal and. Mike Bass running in for a touchdown, but our defense played good enough to win that game. Offensively, we I didn't play real good. I threw three interceptions, and that that kind of stifled our offense. In the second half, we moved the ball up and down the field pretty good and kept it kind of away from their offense. But we just couldn't score. We had chances. We missed a field goal and something, you know, things like that. 